Well, amen. amen. God bless you all. Thank you for your heart for God. Uh, <clears throat> my text is Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. Uh, you'll find that and we'll read it together in a moment. I'll read it aloud and you'll follow. <clears throat> I made a comment a few weeks ago and I'll make the same um, to uh, today, this morning. I... Uh, I've never preached this sermon before. I, I said that about another sermon I preached before. Uh, I don't know what, necessarily what that means or means to you. It, uh, but uh, since my days of retirement, of course, through the years, I've preached thousands of sermons, uh, different sermons. Uh, Northside was just precious to me. Um, uh, they, uh, they prepared for me both uh, one of these funny little sticks you put in the side of your computer. What's that called? Uh, a, a jump drive. What's it called? A what? Thumb drive. Thumb drive. There you go. Thumb drive. Whatever. You know, your slides and you put it in, why not? Um, and also a portfolio of every sermon I ever preached there on a CD. Uh, you, can you imagine? <laughs> of course, I... I'll never listen to all of them, but, uh, but I can always go back and, you know, I, I, I just hope I don't fall asleep while I'm listening to self-preaching. Uh, but uh, but it's, uh, I've preached thousands of sermons, but since retirement, in my devotional life, I, I'll run across a passage, and I said, Lord, I don't know if I've ever preached that passage. And, um, and I try not to make my devotional life Sermon preparation. I, I, I try, you know, because I need God to preach to me uh, as much or more than I need to preach to you. So, but sometimes he just puts something in my heart and, and that's kind of what today's sermon is. Uh, that's something he gave me. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I pray God will use it in your life like he has in mine. And I thank you for being here. I... Uh, I, I hope, uh, w you know, we're all going to regret all our rain jokes the next drought we get. Um, and um, thank God for rain when it comes. Uh, but I do thank God I got to wear my sunglasses up 840 today. Uh, and, uh, and it's a delight to be with you. We sure do love you. Uh, uh, I, uh, I appreciate your receptivity of the word. Um, and uh, that you, you want Bible preaching. Don't ever lose that, all right? Uh, there's, one, there's a big reason this little desk is in the middle of the platform because this is the middle of everything we do. Amen. You do, all right? Remember that. Thank you for your receptivity. Uh, it's time to get into the sermon, so I'll get through this morning, all right? Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? And follow with me in your Bibles as I read. What a familiar story. Um, if we had time, I'd say, I would sing, Zacchaeus was a... I'm not going to sing it this morning. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know it, and everybody, everybody, almost everybody, you almost be lost um, and know this story. But let's look at it, see what God has to say. Verse 1, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, the tax collectors, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press or the crowd, because he was little of stature. He was a short guy. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he, that Zacchaeus, made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the crowd, that's the people in Jericho, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Amen. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I want you to listen to me for a moment. We're going to pray. And it's not going to be one of these where we all bow our heads and the preacher prays and you're, you're listening to me while I'm talking to God. What I want to do is I want to pray. And the first thing I want you to do when you pray is I want you to pray about the service. I want you to pray for me. Pray for the sermon. Pray for yourself. But I have another thing I want you to pray about. All right? By the way, I'm not going to pray aloud. I'm going to say amen in a moment. I'm just going to say amen. I'm not asking you to pray aloud. You might not want to when I tell you what I'm going to ask you to pray for. I want you to think about this congregation here this morning. And I want you to think, see, I don't know this congregation. I just know a few folks. Uh, I want you to think about who's here, who came this morning, who's in your family, who's in maybe your Sunday school classes, your friends, whoever. And I want you to think about someone that you're not sure about their salvation. Someone you believe here this morning is a lost sinner. Now, you don't have to tell them you think that. You don't have to engage in that. But in your heart, you're concerned for someone here this morning's lost. And I want to ask this church, I want to ask Christian people, would you pray for that person? Would you pray? And if you don't know someone here this morning lost, would you pray God would save someone? Let's, we want to be so real, we want to get so real about church this morning and say, God, would you save somebody this morning? I have prayed for it. And in my spirit, I will pray again. Bow your heads, please. What I ask you to pray for? Me, the sermon, you. But think, do you know someone that you need to pray for that they might be saved this morning? Amen. Please be seated. This passage in Luke contains one of the grandest statements in the Bible defining Jesus Christ's purpose and mission in coming to earth. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission... His whole purpose in the incarnation, His advent of coming to this earth. The whole reason. He didn't become necessarily to become a great teacher. He was. He didn't come so much to be a great ethic and example to to cause people to follow the way He lived with His big heart for people and His giving way. That was not His primary purpose. His primary purpose was to come to save, to die on a cross for lost sinners, for the lost. Now, and this verse, verse 10, serves as the climax in a story defining Jesus Christ's purpose and mission. And that story is the story of Zacchaeus that so many of you know. You know, it, it really kind of blew my mind as I did my study in this passage. I, I often, like so many other preachers, I research other preachers. I look through files. I have, I have all sorts of digital things that I go through. How, many, how few people have preached a sermon on Zacchaeus? 
I wonder how many preachers have preached through Luke. Did they just skip over him? I don't know. Maybe it's too familiar. But this story, this story defines the mission of Jesus Christ. And I break it out three ways in my sermon this morning. First of all, I want you to see it's the story of a sinner. It's the story of a sinner. Zacchaeus is introduced to us basically with nothing good to say. It says in verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, the tax collectors, and he was rich. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to say someone was chief, was the head guy, who was a well-known public official in our area, and it's, nothing, it's not necessarily bad to say he was rich. But we do have to understand the context of this day and what a publican was. A publican, he's called. He was a tax collector. And most of you know the publicans, the tax collectors, were Jews employed by the Romans. The Romans taxed the Jews in their own homeland and taxed them. They were looking for the Messiah, and Rome declared themselves to be the rulers, the Messiahs in that, in that area. And they hired Jews to collect taxes from the Jews, and they were hated by the Jews. Most of these publicans were great extortioners, they were considered traitors to their people. Not only was he a publican, but he was chief among the publicans. Uh, he not only was a drunkard, he, he owned a liquor store. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? He accommodated, he accommodated uh, the wickedness and sinfulness. He was an organizer. He was the kingpin of all the other publicans. He equipped the other publicans, and he obviously profited from the profiteers. You get me? I mean, he made money off of those who made money. He was deep into it. His sin spread wider than the sin of other sinners. How often do we talk about it's bad enough to do drugs, but what about the drug dealers? See, it's bad enough to be a publican, but to be the chief of the publicans. The chief of the publicans. And he was rich. Now, folks... We know the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to be rich. But I tell you what the Bible does say. It says it's hard to be rich and follow Jesus. It's not easy. I get so burnt up, burnt out. Well, these people that says, that's what God wants you to be. When Jesus over and over again said it's hard to be rich. You're basically a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. It's hard. He was rich. To call Zacchaeus rich is a dead giveaway that he was what I call a successful sinner. He lived bad, got away with it, and profited from it. Amen? He was a big-time cheater. In other words, he was a big-time what? Sinner. See, that's the way he was introduced. But the people of Jericho who knew him best were clear in their evaluation. Verse 7 says, Jesus was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. The people said, this guy's a sinner. I've already detailed his activities as, as a publican. But the people who knew him best, the average people considered him to violate just about everything and anything God would expect from a person. And I want to pause here in the sermon and remind you, my friend, that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Sinners. <laughs> I am convinced that Zacchaeus also saw himself as a sinner. That's... Those, that verbiage is not given in this passage. But look at the way he acted. Look at what happened. 
His eagerness to find Jesus. The moment he met him, how eager he was and ready to, to encounter him and be a part of him. This guy needed something in his life. He was frustrated with his life. He was depressed with his life. Everything about the way he acted is, is an indication of a terrible guilt over his sins. He reminds me of the other publican in just the chapter before this. Remember the one that Jesus talked about who just all he could do was hang his head and cry, Oh, be merciful unto me, O God, for I'm a sinner. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul, who that great godly man who gave us the bulk of the New Testament outside of the Gospels said, I am the not the chief tax collector or the chief public of what? I am the chief of sinners. That's what I see myself as. Zacchaeus' story. Folks, listen to me. It's my story. It's our story. It's every sinner's story. And I tell you what, you know that. Every sinner who's truly saved. You know, before you ever know Jesus as Savior, you must know yourself as a sinner. You know, the world, the devil, and even so, some so-called pastor preachers would have you soft, soft soap the desperate condition of your guilty conscience in your ruined life. They would have you believe this. Sure, you are broken and a little dysfunctional. But you know, you're not altogether responsible. See, you may be ill, but you're not evil. You may, you may be sick, but you're not sinful. You may be weak, but you're not really wicked. You may be confused, but, but you're not condemned. You may be a little empty inside, but you couldn't be the enemy of God. But I'm telling you, if you're not a sinner, you have no hope of salvation. If there is no guilt in you, I have no gospel for you. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Where do you see yourself? If you're here this morning without Christ, if you're not a believer, or even if you profess to be a believer, but you have really no connection and relationship with Jesus Christ, have you ever seen the desperateness of your sin? Have you ever seen that the re reason your life is such a wreck is because of you? Sinner. I'm convinced Zacchaeus also saw himself as a sinner. And then we have Jesus' final description of Zacchaeus. In verse 10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, sinners are lost. They're lost. Lost is that significant image that Luke uses in his gospel. We remember back in chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All of them Desperate, lost. But see, Luke, what Luke is doing, he's reminding us that, that lostness, spiritual lostness, always has to do with the individual. It is very, very personal. It's about number one. It's about me. It's about my life. In Luke chapter 15, in verse 3, it says, And he spake this parable unto them. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the, the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You see, folks, lostness, being a sinner, be, becomes very personal when it's just you. When you're thinking about you. When, when it's about you. 
You know, sometimes we talk about somebody's wallet being lost. You know, and we said, what a shame. We think about their credit cards, their driver's license. But I tell you, it's a whole different story when you realize your wallet's lost. The news hits us. A child is lost in the Smoky Mountains. How disturbing. How terrible. But what if it's my child who's lost in the woods, in the cold? Folks, I want to tell you, without Jesus, you're lost. Your soul is lost. You're lost. This story is the story of a sinner. But secondly, this story of Zacchaeus is the story of a seeker, right? A seeker, Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus, let's first look at Zacchaeus, the seeker. In verse 3 it says, and he sought to see Jesus. Did you see the phrasing? It's, it's, it's very good in the King James. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. See, we don't know everything Zacchaeus already knew about Jesus, do we? We don't know what he heard. But you know what's amazing to me? If you read your Bibles, study your Bibles, all you got to do is go back to chapter 18. And here's some things that have already happened, that just happened a chapter before this that Luke lets us in on. Number one, there's that parable I talked about, the publican who went down to his house justified, so desperate over being a sinner. In chapter 18. And then Jesus talked uh, about anybody that really comes into the kingdom must come as a little child. And then there's a story of a rich man in chapter 18. Look, a rich man who came to Jesus and wanted eternal life, but he missed out on eternal life because he loved his riches more than he loved Jesus. How hard it is for rich people to be saved. Jesus gives us that story in chapter 18. And already, are you ready? Already in chapter 18, Jesus is in Jericho at the end of chapter 18, and he heals the blind beggar. Um, He's not rich. He doesn't have anything. But in the end, he has Jesus. You know, that's the great parallel of both these stories. The blind beggar and the rich man Zacchaeus in the end. They both have Jesus. They both have Jesus. But we don't know everything Zacchaeus knew and heard. But something made him curious, made him a seeker. In this day and time, there's any number of things that can make people a seeker of Jesus Christ. It may be the way you raise, the people you know, the invites you receive, the preaching and teaching we hear on our televisions, in our radios. It could be the hard times in life, difficulties, struggles, the heartbreak you go through that, that moves you to become a seeker. What can God do about this in my life? But Zacchaeus, who was greatly curious and hungry to be clear about Jesus, showed that he was determined to overcome all obstacles to get to Jesus. It says in verse 3, he he could not get to Jesus for the crowd. See, for Zacchaeus, people were in his way. People were in his way. I wonder how many people we know, maybe here this morning, the reason you've never been saved, there are people in your way. There are just people in your way. I tell you, when I got, you know, when I got saved, my whole list of friends changed. Well, I was a senior in college, and uh, I mean, I was a devil, and, and I ran around with his, ran around with his demons. Um, uh, I tell you, the big thing that changed on my list, the kind of girls I dated. After I got saved, the first serious dating experience I had was that girl right over there. She was a believer. And I was looking, I had to tell you, I was looking for a believer. And I told you a few weeks ago, I chased her till she caught me. <laughs> I wanted to date somebody like her. I remember the night we had our first date. See, she knew, here's the problem we had. She knew me before I was saved. She knew my reputation. And I had one. 
And she finally went out with me, and I remember sitting in front of the dorm and telling her about everything going on in my life and, and whatnot and, and giving her my testimony. And I tell you what, I kept her out real late. I, I did. <laughs> Talking about Jesus. I really did. And, uh, and I remember that night as we talked, one of the things, I, one of the sweet things she told me, she said, you know, I'd never marry a preacher. <laughs> but see, I fooled her. I became a preacher later on. Uh, but the crowd changed in my life. The crowd was in his way. But not only the obstacles of, of people, but there were obstacles in his own personal life. Said he was little of stature, and I've already told you, being short is not a sin. Somebody say amen. amen. Being short is not a sin. But I tell you what, can't get in your way in your personal life is your past. How many people want to? Can I tell you something this morning? If you're not a believer and you're not a member of the church, you're not walking with Jesus. Can I tell you something we Christian folks are a little tired of? You telling us your stories about how bad the things were at that Baptist church you grew up in. I know that. You know, I know that. I know they're a bunch of hypocrites. I know people hurt folks. But I'm not talking about them. You just want to go to hell with them? Whatever's in your past... What's today and tomorrow? What's today and tomorrow? And I'm telling you, for every bad church, I believe there's a good one. If the Bible's preached, the people walk with Jesus, it's worth being there. Past. Personality. People, people let their personality get in the word. Pride. But he was going to overcome these obstacles. But now, listen to me. Boy, thank God, I got a lot of time left. <laughs> this story now seems to turn on a dime. Amen. Because you see, the real seeker is not Zacchaeus. That's right. The real seeker is Jesus. You, when I said my second point is the story of a seeker, you thought, oh, Zacchaeus, the seeker, he is. But you know what? This story is here to let you know it wasn't really Zacchaeus. It was Jesus all the time seeking him. And that's what caught me when I read through this passage. Verse 5 is just amazing. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, who introduced him to Zacchaeus? That's right. Nobody. Thank you. That's a good amen. Nobody. He knew who he was. Make haste and come down for today. I must abide at the house. And it says in verse, he says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and spoke to him. This story turns, as I said, on a dime. And the real seeker is Jesus. You know, if you're here today, and you think you came into this place as a seeker, I'm going to tell you who stirred your curiosity. I'm going to tell you who led you to this place. I'm going to tell you who ordained that you be here. It was Jesus. He's looking for you. By the way, I didn't tell you the title of my sermon, did you? That's nice sometimes. Jesus is looking for you. That's the title of my sermon. Jesus is looking for you. He's looking for you. He's the seeker. In Romans chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. In other words, we'd never seek him out if he didn't seek us. And then in John chapter 6, verse 44, the Bible says this, no man can come to me, Jesus speaking, 
except the Father which hath sent me draw him. God's looking for you. He's going to draw you to Jesus. Jesus is looking for you. And a passage that I used for the senior adult Valentine banquet the other day, I know they expected me to come in and talk about romantic love among seniors. But I used John chapter 4. Let me read you some things that John says then. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. The only way we start looking for him is he's looking for us. Amen? He's the seeker. He is the seeker. I'm going to break down this, what Jesus did that day seeking out Zacchaeus. It said Jesus came to him. Jesus came to the place where he was in verse 5. Jesus came to him. Oh, he came to me. A few months ago, my wife bought me a new CD. It was Squire Parsons renewing all his best hits. And, and on that CD was a song, He Came to Me. You ever heard of it? That chorus of that song goes, He came to me. He came to me when I could not come to where he was. He came to me. That's why he died. On Calvary, when I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Now, you need to know that I was a young preacher, not a few years out of seminary, not a few years into my first church, living in Virginia. Uh, and we lived in the Blue Ridge of Virginia. And I went, when I had to go to the hospitals, I had to drive to Greensboro, North Carolina. And I had to drive down to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and to Duke, North Carolina. That was all where the big hospitals were and the people were. And I, I was on the road a lot going seeing my folks when I was a young, young preacher. And one day, I think, I'm almost certain it was on the road going down to Winston-Salem to the Baptist Hospital there. And I was going down that two-lane highway between Martinsville, Virginia, and Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And all of a sudden, on the Christian radio station I was listening to, they finally Got, got some of the preachers out of the way and whatnot, and they started playing gospel music. And all of a sudden, Squire Parson comes on and starts singing that song. You want me to tell you a true story? I pulled over the side of the road and cried my eyes out because that's my testimony. When I could not come to where he was, Jesus came to me. So, so often that's in our 2020 hindsight of our spiritual walk with God. We look back at what happened. Yes, I sought out God. Yes, I came down an aisle. Yes, I cried my eyes out in a mortar's bench, begging the Lord to save me and change my life. But as I look back, I realized it was because He was looking for me. He came to me. Do you get that? And today, Jesus is looking for you. And I'll tell you, He's here looking for you in this service. I spent too much time on that one. Jesus came to him. Jesus looked at him. Do you see that? He looked up. You know, does anything stir guilt? May I say conviction so much as coming face to face, eyeball to eyeball with, a, with an honest accuser in your life? Somebody you've wronged? Maybe a parent? Maybe a brother or sister or friend? You violated them? and you see them for the first time, and they look you square in the eye, you know you were wrong. I'm telling you, so much. That's the seeking of Jesus Christ in our life. That's what conviction is. God peering into your life, looking you eyeball to eyeball, says, I know who you are. Jesus looked at him. Jesus called his name. I'm telling you, my friend, whether you be his sheep or not, he knows you. Amen. He knows you. He knows your name. He wants you. You know what's so rich about this? 
salvation, Christianity, is personal. It's not a religion. He knows you. I'm convinced one day I'm going to hear Jesus call my name. And there are a lot of Kenneths in the world. There's no telling how many have come through the ages. But I'm going to know when he's talking to Kenneth Polk. He called his name. And then Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. He says, I must abide at thy house. You know, we talk over and over again about inviting Jesus into our hearts. And that's good theology. It's okay. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' heart. He said, I want to be a part of your life. I'm coming to your home. Zacchaeus, what I'm talking about today is I'm coming where you live. This is far more than religion. I'm moving in. That's Christianity. That's Jesus seeking out the sinner. Then I want you to follow me as I finish this point about the story of the seeker and Jesus turns into the seeker. Jesus put the burden of divine necessity into his soul. If you read that verse again, it says, he, he said to Zacchaeus, come down for today, I must abide at thy house. Jesus used that on a number of occasions. One time he used this when he said, I must go to Jerusalem and die. I have to go to the cross. And he told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I must come into your life. And I believe with all my heart. It's what, it, it, don't get confused by reading other people and hearing that phrase divine necessity or anything else. Let me explain it to you for me. The night I got saved, the night I got saved, here's what was going on in my soul. I must be saved lest I die. I am sick of who I am, where I've been, what I've done, who I've hurt. And I must be saved lest I die. Some of you will say, well, Brother Ken, I can't say that that's what happened to me. Did you think anything like that? This has to end. How about this? Things have got to change. Did you think anything like this? You know, if I don't trust Jesus, this could be my last chance. For me, it was, I must be saved lest I die. There was the sense of divine necessity in my soul. I had to have God change my life. Well, let's go to the last point. I've got at least an hour to go. This story of Zacchaeus is a story of a sinner. It is a story of a seeker. Finally, it's the story of salvation. Verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation Come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus' story is the story of what salvation looks like, folks. Listen to me. What it looks like. We see salvation in the character of his conversion. This story is the story of the new birth accomplished in the life of a lost sinner. And I'm going to tell you why it's a story of salvation. It's because Zacchaeus became a man of faith. That's what Jesus meant when he said he was the son of Abraham. When he said he was the son of Abraham. Do you remember the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians? If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it for you. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, Even as Abraham believed God. By the way, it already said in here and in Romans, that, that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. In other words, he was saved. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. My goodness, that sounds like a direct reference to what we're reading right now. What Jesus was saying. That Paul, can you imagine that? Paul and Jesus were on the same page. 
They're the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. When God told Abraham all nations would be blessed, it would be that he would be the father of the faithful. Those that come to God by faith, verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You see, Zacchaeus became a spiritual child of Abraham. He became a spiritual descendant of Abraham. He came to Jesus by faith. Jesus spoke enough to Zacchaeus. See, we don't know what went on between Jesus and Zacchaeus in the house, do we? He came down, they went in the house, he came out saved. But I can tell you, I know this much was said. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Zacchaeus, you must come, not by works, but by faith. Because he became a man of faith. And then he humbled himself with the death, I call the death the human dignity. He, he made haste and came down to the tree. But before he came down from the tree, he ran through the crowd and ran up the tree. How many rich, popular, important people do you know would run through the crowd and climb trees during a poor, an important day and a big person comes down? Can you imagine your mayor or the governor uh, coming to some fair or something here and all of a sudden, there goes Governor Lee running through the crowd. He's climbing trees. You can't imagine it, could you? They couldn't imagine Zacchaeus doing this either. But I'm telling you, something happened to him that day where he died to human dignity. Even today, rich, important, powerful, successful people are not apt to run through crowds and climb trees. But I want to say something to you. If Jesus takes hold of your life, you know you're a sinner and you need to be saved and you trust in Jesus in faith, it does something to humble you down and die to your dignity and say, I want to do whatever I need to do to follow Jesus. And the first thing that you do is you come and repent. You trust Him as your Lord and Savior. And then you go into those baptismal waters. We have so dressed up the baptistries this day. We've made them so pretty. I tell you, I think all the, all the Baptist churches, all the Christian people need to go to Jerusalem, go down into the muddy Jordan and be dunked and that maybe we need to go just go out to, to the Stones River today. Uh, I mean, it isn't a pretty wave out there today. And go out there in those muddy waters and our clothes and come back up, out, just like Jesus went to that terrible cross and died that horrible death. There, the blood running out, and then they put him into the tomb. I tell you, folks, baptism was always meant to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if there's shame in it, give me the shame. You know, have we overly sanitized our call to sinners to repent and be saved by de deleting the public invitation and providing for private baptisms? I tell you, I, I long for the day when we keep coming as little children. I long to see conviction so grip people's souls that many will die to the human dignity and come weeping down aisles to a mourner's bench, no matter the reputation or their position. I long to see people like the mayor or the governor, and I don't know, they may both have a wonderful testimony of name, knowing Jesus Christ, but I'm saying I long to see people in those positions of power. Maybe your school teacher or your principal, maybe the wealthiest farmer in this area or the biggest business owner here in, in Lebanon come to this church, come under the preaching of the gospel and come weeping down the aisle and said, I am a sinner and I need Jesus. Don't you long for those days? I do. I'm not just preaching. I'm telling you my real heart. I tell you what, there was no dignity the night that I fell on my face before God and said, Jesus, you've got to be my Lord. He humbled himself and he died to human dignity. And then he found joy in coming to Jesus. He said he received him joyfully. That's another one of Luke's words. I can't even rest there. You know, getting saved ought to bring joy to your heart. It ought to make you happy. 
It ought to bring real joy. Even God rejoiced when sinners, lost sinners came home, right? Luke chapter 15. There was rejoicing in heaven. It ought to bring joy. And Zacchaeus surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Look at the way he talks to him. And Zacchaeus stood, verse 8, and said unto him, Lord, behold, Lord. I want you to know, my friend, to come to Jesus, you come to him as the Lord of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. I know a young man in college who... um, when we were, I think we were freshmen, he was an only child. He was really close to his dad. His dad gave him everything. And his dad died. Remember, he went home. He was gone a week or two, whatever. Came back to school. And he told me while he was away, he and his mom went to church on one of those Sunday mornings, and they both went down the aisle and got saved and joined the church. And I was not a believer then. Um, um, but I, I, re- I was very, very much, I grew up in a Christian home, so I very much rejoiced in that. I was glad for him. It didn't take a month till he was right back living the same way with the same crowd doing the same things right with me again and all of us. I saw no change. I saw no Zacchaeus transformation in his life whatsoever. I'm not the judge, right? I don't know, but I'm just saying nothing changed. But I later felt in my spirit, especially after I got saved, that what he wanted that morning was to get saved from his sorrow, get saved from his heartache, And I don't know how many people have come to Jesus in churches and at other times want to be saved from the terrible sickness they face and the possibility of death. Be saved from their financial loss. Be saved from the divorce that's going on in their marriage right now. All sorts of things. They want to be saved from them. But you need to understand something. If Jesus does not become Lord of everything in your life, He's not Lord at all. He means to be Lord. He means to be Lord. When I marry a young couple, uh, a man and a woman, where do they stand? Um, A man and a woman, I'd say, "Uh, Ken, do you take Dinah to be your lawfully wedded life? Wife, life, wife. I got to get this straight. Will you take her? And then I look at her and I say, will you take him? Could you imagine when I ask her, will you ask the guy, will you take her? He says, well, I'll take a housekeeper. I'll take a cook because I love to eat. The preacher had to say, no, you must take her. You must take her. And I'm telling you, if you're going to be saved, you must take Jesus. Take him. He must be Lord. And then lastly, Zacchaeus expressed a heart of repentance and restitution. It says in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He was ready to make restitution. But folks, and listen to me, Restitution is not necessary for salvation. You'll never make up for what you've done. But I kind of tell you this, you get saved, you've got a heart that says, I want to make things right. You hear me? I want to make it right if I can. If I can. You follow me? But repentance is a part of salvation. Repentance and faith and lordship. Repentance. And his repentance was related to his riches. I'm going to give back money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Some of you are saying, oh, that's one of these verses. I'll be right with God if I give all I have to the poor. That's not what this is about. His repentance was related to his riches. His greed. That's what he was. Your repentance will be related to 
who you are. Well, you had to repent of your lust, of drugs, pride, pornography. It goes on and on, doesn't it? What is it that you are wedded to that's Lord of your life right now? You will have to repent of it and turn from it before you can ever turn to God. I have to stop, mostly because of time. I hope my voice doesn't run out. Jesus is looking for you. I want to close with this that I wrote down when I finished preparing this sermon the other evening. You know, there are at least three, there may be more. There are at least three things that separate Christianity from all other world religions. Some of these I'm going to say, you're going to say, oh, I know that one. Easter's coming up. You know the first one, don't you? Three things that separate Christianity from all world religions. Listen to me and I'm done. Number one, Christianity has a living leader. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Easter's coming. That separates us from all other world religions. But listen to the other two. Number two, the religions of, the, of this world are what man can do for God. Works. The Christianity is what God has done for man, the cross. Third, has to do my sermon this morning. The religions of this world is sinners looking for God. Christianity is God looking for for sinners. I'm going to tell you something. You may believe you came this morning because you were curious, hungry, eager to see things be different. You may think yourself the seeker, and I'm thankful that you are. But I'm telling you, you're here because Jesus is looking for you. Be saved.